Hello and welcome to another episode of Coaching Chaos. This has been a long stretch since my last episode, and we don't have just a little bit going on, we have quite a lot going on. And I want to share with you the story behind why we are leaving Utah. I've had people ask me that question so much in the last few days, so I thought I will put it right here and share with you some of my thoughts pertaining to this. Some of the things that I've been reading and reflecting upon this morning in my scriptures and the beautiful conference talk I just listened to by Gordon B. Hinckley. A few weeks ago, I was in California visiting my mom and I got a text from Jeff and it just simply said, South Carolina with a question mark. Now a little background to this, He's often told about jobs that are opening in different states and encouraged to apply or just being informed. And, and for the last several years, he has just deleted the email or the text or responded with, thanks, but I'm good where I am, things like that. And he's about to finish his master's in athletic administration. And he just finished a remarkable season as a coach coming in number two in the nation at the national championship game and recently for myself I began to feel the wind change as Mary Poppins says the wind changes and you begin to feel a tugging on your heart that something's about to be presented something's about to happen and I began looking around around me that it's time to move on, that we are done here. We have moved many, many times in our marriage, and I think that's just been our journey. Our dear friends, Dave and Tina, always laugh at us that they've had three addresses their entire marriage of 31 years. And Jeff and I have had about 23, including four cross-country moves. But that's kind of what happens when you're in college athletics. You have to move to advance, is what Jeff was told back when he was in school at Utah State, and that has stayed with us. But we have been in Utah for 22 years, and yes, we have still hopped around in different capacities. And this time, as Jeff would text me different states that jobs had opened, one was Iowa, one was Michigan, and I him hot over them, and a couple of them I said, no, nope, that's not even close to how I'm feeling where we need to be. But when he sent me South Carolina with a question mark, I simply said, okay. Like, okay, check it out. While I was still in California, I got a another message from him saying, I've applied for that job. I wrote back, okay. Still again, while we were in California, I was talking to him at one point and he said, I have a phone interview this week. And I said, wow, okay. It was just another day or so after that, he finished the interview and he called and said, they're flying me out next Tuesday. And I said, okay. Couldn't believe it, but okay, let's just see what happens. There was absolutely zero hesitation. There was absolutely zero caution or pretense to it or worry. It was just, okay. 
I want to share with you just something my sister is experiencing as they're trying to make a decision on life-changing experiences in their life right now that they're being presented with. They've been in, she was born and raised in Fresno, California. Just in the last few months, they have felt that they needed a shift. They needed a change. They have a few years left before they retire. And so is this where we're going to be in Fresno for the rest of our life? They began to search around. They began to look at different opportunities. And ultimately she was flown out to Michigan and she was offered a job, an amazing job. And they felt right about it. Her husband, Greg, began looking too, and nothing surfaced for him. Nothing. Pretty soon, the feeling of Michigan went flat, and she was confused by this. She has since become certified, a certified teacher in Kentucky and in Michigan and a couple of other states she's been working on. And she was confused by the all-of-a-sudden change that Michigan felt so right. She was even offered a job. Things were going well. They'd even met the branch president randomly. It was things like that that began to propel them forward, and then it stopped. So she was confused by that until she sat in sacrament and listened to a very brief talk by a woman that said, sometimes we feel right about moving forward, and then the direction changes, and we're confused. But it's the Lord leading us down a path to ultimately get us to where he needs us to be. But we first have to experiencing these little stepping stones to understand where it is that he's leading us along. And she said to trust in the light and movement. Trust in the light, the whisperings of the spirit, and the movement in the direction we must be willing to take. She has since had that be her motto, to trust the light and movement, to trust the light and be willing to move. So as they continue their decision-making, and she shared that story with me, I too have trusted, and I have felt completely peaceful. Come what may, come what may. So back to my story regarding South Carolina, I was having these conversations with my sister and hearing her say that she was moving to Michigan. And for so many years, I felt like I could not leave West. I could not leave the West because I needed to be near my mama. and I wanted to be closer to my sisters. But now I have a sister in Texas and I have a brother in, that has just recently moved to Tennessee. And then my sister's deciding on Michigan. And I thought, well, I can bring my mom with me. And it felt so right to move forward and to be unafraid. So as we were coming back from California, we literally walked in with our suitcases and Jeff walked past us with his. As he was leaving that evening to go catch a flight in Salt Lake. He left on Tuesday afternoon and he stayed there for three days and they offered him the job on the spot. Jeff didn't agree to take it immediately. He needed to come home and gather our family, which we did. So Sunday, the first Sunday in June, happened to be Fast Sunday, and we spent the day fasting. All six of our children came home and attended church with us, and we gathered around our family room, and we discussed all the pros and cons. And one of our kids said, you know what, really, 
the cons that I have do not even outweigh any of the, the pros. And ultimately, Jeff said, so give me your vote. What do you say? Went around the room and every single one of our children said, go. I knew from the moment that Jeff sent me that text, South Carolina, with a question mark, I felt right about it. There was never any hesitancy in me. So when he was offered the job, I knew that that's what we were going to do, but we still had to serve in the best way that we could, our Father in Heaven, and show Him how interested we are in His plan for us. And we spent the weekend thinking about this. I was sitting on the chair in our bedroom that evening, Sunday night, after we had spent a full weekend contemplating what we needed to do. Jeff came over and leaned over to me very closely and said, we are going. And I looked up at him and I said, I know. Since then it has been a whirlwind and this is what we are to do. To say that we are excited about going is an understatement. To say that we are sad about leaving is also an understatement. The outpouring of love and friendship that we have felt here and the incredible area in which we live in. We even have a temple going in right into our neighborhood and we are leaving these exciting experiences and changes that are happening right here in Ephraim, Utah. But we will leave that behind and we will move forward. Many years ago, Jeff heard his bishop say that there are too many good men in Utah that has stayed with them, but for some reason we've been here for several years. It is time for us to go forward. And first, we will serve the Lord. And second, we will seek to gather our family. And third, yeah, he's going to do a darn good job at his new job as head coach at a D2 school called Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina. I just want to share with you some of my reflections that I've had this morning pertaining to all of this. And my heart is full. And I want to share with you a little poem that President Gordon B. Hinckley shared in his talk called Forgiveness from 2005. Let me live in a house by the side of the road where the race of men go by, the men who are good and the men who are bad, as good and as bad as I. I would not sit in the scorner's seat or hurl the cynic's ban. Let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. This is the way that I feel as I sit on my front porch and watch families and couples and friends walk by. And as I walk in the evening with my own friendships that I've formed here, how I will miss them. I look forward to sitting on the porch in my new house and watching people go by and making new friendships. It has been my lifelong goal that I do not be cynical or judgmental towards those that cross my path, but all too often I find that I am. And all too often I have found that I have held grudges and I have needed to forgive and I have needed to be forgiven. In the Sermon on the Mount, the more the Lord taught, ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. 
and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him, twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. These are very strong words and they're difficult. President Hinckley says, do you really think you could follow that injunction? They are the words of the Lord himself, and I think they apply to each of us. I know that I need to be forgiven, and I know that I need to forgive. And I have found myself saying, I'm not going to forgive them until I hear an apology. But it is required of us to forgive, even though an apology will never come. In D&C... 64 verse 25 it says wherefore if ye believe me ye will labor while it is called today i have highlighted that so many times until my highlighter has turned my page i shouldn't say black but pretty muddy with all of the times i've gone back and forth across this Do not procrastinate that which we can do today, that which we must today, the phone call that we need to make, the forgiveness that we need to extend, the compliment that we need to make. Let go of the grudge today. And how this applies to us, even saying, I will start tomorrow on that goal. I will write that tomorrow. I will start my diet tomorrow. I will make that effort tomorrow. It says right here, wherefore, if you believe me, Ye will labor. Ye will work on this right now while it is called today. Because every tomorrow turns into today. Do it right now. Especially, especially in the sense of forgiveness. Wherefore I say unto you that ye ought to forgive one another. For he that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses standeth condemned before the Lord. For there remaineth in him the greater sin. Do you want to lose your salvation over somebody else's grievance towards you because you will not forgive? I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all. And if ye ought to say in your hearts, let God judge between me and thee and reward thee according to thy deeds. How about him rewarding you according to your deeds? There are so many in our day who are unwilling to forgive and forget. President Hinckley says, children cry and wives weep because fathers and husbands continue to bring up little shortcomings that are really of no importance. And there are also many women who would make a mountain out of every little offending molehill of word or deed. I am guilty of this. shares this story that I remember as I read this I remember him talking about this and sharing this and I remember it being on the news it was that important of a story that it made national headlines how would you feel toward a teenager who decided to drop a 20 pound frozen turkey from a speeding car headlong into the windshield of a, of, of a car you were driving How would you feel after enduring six hours of surgery using metal plates and other hardware to piece your face back together after learning you still 
face years of therapy before returning to normal, and that you ought to feel lucky you didn't die or suffer permanent brain damage. And how would you feel after learning that your assailant and his buddies had the frozen turkey in the first place because they had stolen a credit card and gone on a senseless shopping spree just for kicks? This is the kind of hideous crime that propels politicians to office on promises of getting tough on crime. Even the death sentence is often not even enough. Which is what makes what really happened so unusual. The victim, a 44-year-old woman named Victoria Rivolo, was more interested in salvaging the life of her 19-year-old assailant, Ryan Cushing, than in exacting any sort of revenge. She pestered prosecutors for information about him, his life, how he was raised. Then she insisted on offering him a plea deal. Cushing could offer, could serve six months in the county jail and be on probation for five years if he pleaded guilty to second degree assault. Had he been convicted of first degree assault, the charge most fitting for the crime, he could have served 25 years in prison finally thrown back into society as a middle-aged man with no skills or prospects. And yet this is only half of the story. The rest of it happened on the day when this all played out in court. It was truly remarkable. According to the account in the New York Post, Cushing carefully and tentatively made his way to where Rivolo sat in the courtroom and tearfully whispered an apology. I am so sorry for what I did to you. The woman, Rivolo, then stood up, and the victim and her assailant embraced weeping. She stroked his head and patted his back as he sobbed, and witnesses, including a Times reporter, heard her say, It's okay. It's okay. I just want you to make your life the best it can be. According to accounts, hardened prosecutors and even reporters were choking back tears. This article is called Forgiveness Has Power to Change. Truly, it does have have the power to change all of us. He says, I know that this is a delicate and sensitive thing and there truly are hardened criminals who may have to be locked up. There are unspeakable crimes, deliberate murder, rape, that justify harshest penalties. But there are some who could be saved from lifelong years in prison because of an unthoughtful foolish act and somehow forgiveness with love and tolerance can change the direction of another human being the magnitude of applying the atonement upon our life has the ability to completely transform another as we offer forgiveness and ultimately it can completely transform ourselves as we extend it as we seek it There are some people who have claimed that they do not believe in the church and they have left it. Ultimately, as we sometimes find out, that it's because they were too afraid to go in and see the bishop and seek forgiveness. Sometimes our suffering and the agony is so intense that we feel like it's easier just to do something even more harmful to ourselves to alleviate the pain, to get rid of the fear but it only makes us more hardened. It makes the situation worse. It is through him that we gain forgiveness. It is through him that there 
comes certain promises that all mankind will be granted the blessings of salvation with resurrection from the dead. It is through him and his great overarching sacrifice that we are offered the opportunity through obedience of exaltation and eternal life. There for each of us is someone in our life that we are holding such an incredible and crippling grudge. I do. I search my mind and my heart to find right now what I can do to truly forgive, to truly let it go. Have pity on the person who has suffered and you have suffered. You have suffered so much. But just think about how much more that suffering will be alleviated if you say, I forgive them. Heavenly Father, help me to forgive them. So many times they are just simple things of misunderstandings that we don't even realize and that things have snowballed into festering, hurting positions in our life and it was over misunderstandings. Let me give you a small example. Just yesterday, I was talking to my friend Becca Proper and I told her that often I feel like I am just a bull in a china shop and she said to me, I have never understood that. Here I am an English teacher and I've never understood what that means, a bull in the china shop. Aren't there lots of bulls in the china shop? So then my thought was, oh, she must have been in a china shop where she saw lots of bulls, B-U-L-L, painted on pieces of china. And I looked at her and I said, well, bulls, if they're put in a china shop, they can cause a lot of destruction. The light I saw visibly go on in, in her eyes. And she said, oh, I thought all this time that it was a bull, B-O-L, B-O-W-L, a bull. Well, there's lots of bulls in a china shop. What's the big deal about that? She's not quite my age of 50, but she's definitely past her 30s. In all these years, she thought that it was B-O-W-L in a china shop, and it didn't make sense to her. Do you see how that could possibly have caused a misunderstanding with her leaving a situation, thinking what was the big deal about a bull in a china shop? Once we clarified that and we got on the same page, what a difference that colloquialism will make for her from now on. I, we both got a really good laugh at it. I definitely did. Thank you so much for joining me and may you extend forgiveness today, not tomorrow, but today. We'll see you next time right here on Coaching Chaos. Thank you.